Someone uh, mentioned to me in the hallway that we have a couple uh, celebrating an anniversary today. Is that is that true? Do we have someone uh, celebrating a really special wedding anniversary? Is uh, the the Robersons back there? Is is today y'all's wedding anniversary? <clears throat> oh, last week. How many? How what what anniversary is this? Don't look at him. <laughs> 65 years. Praise God. That's awesome. I, I got nothing that I can say can compete with that. Um, that's just incredible. Today we're going uh, to begin a new teaching series. I'm really excited about it. Uh, a series called Lifehouse. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to dig really deep into, into some of Jesus' teaching. So we kind of had a season of Easter, and now it's time to, to wrap our minds again around Jesus and who he is and what he taught. And, and today, today's teaching is really uh, an extended introduction into this series called Lifehouse. And, and I, I want to introduce uh, two specific emphasis in this Lifehouse series today. And, and so I'm going to do that by telling really just, just two stories the first story is, is a story that Jesus tells about a haunted house. Do you guys remember this? Uh, when I was in the fifth grade, I begged my parents. Uh, my birthday's on November 1st, so every, I don't know what you're, you're you know, Christ, sometimes I bump into Christians that are like, no, we don't celebrate Halloween. Well, that's when my birthday was, so I always celebrated Halloween, so I don't know anything different. Uh, I was a ninja for like 10 years in a row. That's what I was about. And in my, when I was in the fifth grade, I begged my parents, all my friends are coming over, can we please go to a haunted house? And my parents knew me, and they were like, Adam, are you sure this is what you want? And I was like, yes, I'll handle it. This will be really fun. I'd never experienced anything like that. And I remember my fifth, fifth birthday party, I sat outside of the haunted house on the curb crying because <laughs> I was so afraid. Jesus tells this story about a haunted house, and um, uh, I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know if you believe in ghosts or not, or, or if you believe in spirits, or uh, in, the, in Scripture, this idea of unclean spirits, uh, of evil spirits, of demons is, is pretty prevalent, and, and we kind of gloss over it because we don't really know how to relate to it in our world, but, but in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, the, this, this idea of, uh, of there are forces in our world that we can't see, that we can't see that that are are trying to control and manipulate things. Even the the Jewish rabbis said that the air, the atmosphere, is so thick with spirits as if you were to stick a pin anywhere in the atmosphere, you would strike one. And the Jewish belief of that time was this very vivid belief in in, in spirits, in, in in evil spirits. And everything was ascribed to kind of these spirits. If you got sick, what happened? Right? And you read in Scripture a lot about people who are consumed with evil or, or unclean spirits. And part of the belief was that these spirits lurked around food, searching for ways to enter into a man. So the spirit's goal was to somehow to get inside of you, to manipulate you. And one of the ways to get inside of you is through your mouth, when you eat. And so even today, before you eat, what do you do? Wash your hands, right? 
And for the Pharisees in the first century, this, uh, of course, they ritualize everything. So they ritualize this practice of thoroughly washing your hands before you eat to make sure none of these evil spirits can, can somehow sneak inside of you. Now, this caused huge controversy because uh, there's this great story in Luke chapter 11, where we're going to be today, uh, where Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house uh, to, for a meal. And Jesus walks right into the house, sits down at the table, and starts eating. And the Pharisees are shocked. Why? He didn't wash his hands. And the message that Jesus is sending is, uh, if you'll pardon the Ghostbusters phrase, I ain't afraid of no ghost. And in Luke chapter 11, it begins with Jesus casting out a demon, an, an evil spirit. There is a man who is, who is mute. He's unable to speak. Somehow the spirit is, is oppressing his, his voice, his language. And Jesus lays his hands on him, heals him, and immediately the man is able to speak. And the crowd, some of them are astonished. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they say, we know how he's able to do this. We figured it out. We know how Jesus is able to control these evil spirits because Jesus works for Satan. Luke chapter 11, that's what it says. And Jesus does one of these and says, essentially, you know, a house divided against itself is going to fall. A kingdom divided against itself, how can it stand? If I work for Satan and yet I am undoing the work of Satan, how is that ever going to work? And Jesus says, maybe something else is happening here. And I love this example. Jesus says, Satan, he describes Satan as this strong man. Satan is this strong man, and, and he has armor, and he has guards, and he has a palace, and he has all these powers. And Jesus says, well, what happens if someone stronger than him comes into Satan's house and beats him up and plunders all his goods? Does that stronger person work for Satan? No, Jesus says, Maybe the kingdom of God, which is far stronger than anything Satan could ever do, has come. And then he tells a story about a haunted house. It's in Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 24 and 26. I want, I want to read this to you. Uh, this, is, this is pretty obscure. Jesus says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. So these lost and lonely places, where do ghosts hide out? In empty houses, right? You know what I'm saying? This idea. So that, that the spirit, they go into the desert, they go into these lonely places. And when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Now listen to this next part. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. Do you remember this story? Teachings of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, right here. So what's the moral? Uh, I think it's pretty similar to uh, the, uh, the expression. Have you ever heard the expression, idle hands are the 
Devil's Workshop, it's kind of the same idea, right? Like an empty house, an empty person is the devil's workshop. And this is a great post-Easter message because uh, in Easter, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we celebrated that God, out of his great love for us, sent his one and only son to die for us so that our houses might be put in order. See how this works? That our sins have been swept clean. The demon, the evil, the sin within us has been run off. Praise God. And we all walked out of the Easter service feeling good and feeling clean and feeling refreshed. Our lives, our houses have been tidied up and everything has been put in order. In this story that Jesus says, but for how long? An empty house, like an empty life, invites intruders. How long before bad habits and all the all too familiar sins begin to move back in? Have you ever seen this happen? Have you ever dedicated yourself to a workout plan and then when you stopped your workout plan, what happens? Or maybe you've dedicated yourself to a diet for a period of time and then when you stop your diet, what what tends to creep back in? Like they just, these, these things kind of come back. Maybe you've won a victory over a sin in your life only to have it return and have it return even stronger. How long before we are worse off than we are? The real issue is that it is not hard to fill our lives. You guys having a hard time filling your schedule? You got lots of free space, lots of flexibility, or are you pretty busy? Like it's, not hard, it's not hard to fill our lives, right? It's not hard to fill our lives to overflowing. The trick is to fill your life with the right kinds of stuff, Right? Because an empty house invites someone and something to come inside. So we, the trick is to fill our life with the right kind of stuff. In Mark chapter 11, verse 35, just a few verses down, uh, Jesus says this. He says, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually, what's the word? Have you ever had that experience of pouring something into your life, thinking that it's good, thinking that it's helpful, thinking that it's wholesome, thinking that it's helpful only to discover later that it's really been poisoned the whole time? And so the trick is then to fill your life with light, not darkness, to fill our lives with good, not evil, specifically to fill your lives with Jesus Christ. To fill our lives with him and not someone else or something else. But as I'm sure you've discovered, this is easier said than done. So when I was an undergrad at Auburn, uh, I had to take a math class. Um, math is not my strong suit. Um, I'm horrible at math. I hate math. It's dumb. Um, uh, it's just not a language I speak, and I always had, always had issues with it. Um, I was dreading it, and uh, the only 
class. I only had to take one for my major, which was more than enough. And uh, the, the class I signed up for was a statistics class. And uh, I, I should have known better. Um, it, it, was, it was a hard class for me. It, it, it was one of those classes where uh, the, the only people that were in this class were there because they had to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, these weren't statistics majors. These were, and, and so the professor, he could have cared less. And, and I, ne- I honestly, I don't ever think we ever saw our professor's face. He would walk into the room, face the blackboard, and begin to write and speak as, into the blackboard as he's teaching, right? There was no, hi, hello, how are you? It was just, keep up. And for him, I'm sure it was really basic and easy and a waste of his time. But for me, it was really hard. And and so I had to be all in, like all of my attention, all of my focus. I sat on the front row. I had to be be prepared. I had my my pencil sharpened. I have everything ready to go. I got there early. and, And my goal was to write down every word he said, right? Because I couldn't compress it into my brain in that two-hour time slot of class, so I'm going to have to go over this again multiple times. And so I'm going to write down every single word. And while it wasn't easy, I understood my role. My role was the role of a student. His role was the role of a teacher. It wasn't complex. He had something that I didn't have, right? I couldn't have figured it out on my own. I wasn't going to be able to figure it out on my own. And so I needed a teacher. I needed to learn from a teacher. And so the teacher-student relationship was a relationship that I completely understood. But there was a problem. Because the girl sitting next to me in my class did not understand this relationship. Um, she always came in late and, and, uh, you know, she would kind of throw herself into her chair and, and she was always unprepared. It was like, Hey, can I borrow a pencil? Um, Hey, I don't have any paper. Can I, you know what I'm saying? Like she never had, had anything. Um, she always smelled funny and she was, she was talking about her friend, Mary Jane. And I, I don't know. And, and, and I mean, that was, that was fine. All that was fine, except she expected me to help her. Um, she constantly asked me questions through, through the lecture, right? I'm 100% in, trying to focus right down to every single word. And constantly, she was on my shoulder, on my shirt. Uh, what was that again? Uh, what did he say? How did you do that? Can, can you show me that again? I don't understand how he did that. Um, and even when I would photocopy my notes and send them to her, she would, she would call me later with questions. And she actually got us both in trouble in class for, for talking in class and asking me questions. And she, she was just kind of looking over my shoulder. And she, would, you know, she even would scoot her desk over, like, next to my desk. And little did she know, you know, like, it may not be the best, best help here for you. But she never let up. To her, I wasn't just another student. I was also a teacher. And this threw everything out of whack. 
The disciples of Jesus understood their relationship to him. Jesus is rabbi. Rabbi means what? Teacher. And the disciples of Jesus, a disciple is a, it literally means a learner. It was a relationship they understood. It was a relationship they got. Jesus is our teacher. We are the learners. We are Jesus' students. They got it. His job was to teach. Their job was to learn. It's a relationship we as Christians, we understand it today. I love the way William Willimon put it this way. He said, you can't come to live as Christ naturally or on your own. What Jesus was doing, it's not something we're just going to fall into or accidentally pick it up. It doesn't come, the life Jesus lived doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, it may be contrary to our nature. Do you see that? And so, must be taught. We needed a rabbi. The disciples needed a rabbi. He is our teacher, but he's also our curriculum. And if you think about the story of the haunted house, you remember that story? The evil spirit leaves, wanders in the desert, can't find any rest, and comes back and finds the house empty. But it's clean, it's tidied up, everything is in order. And because it's empty, it is an open invitation to move back in. And so the, the message is that we're to fill our lives with other things, right? To specifically fill our lives with Jesus. Our job is to fill our lives, our houses, before they come haunted and filled with everything else, because it's not hard for that to happen, right? Our job is to fill our lives with Jesus and his teachings. We are the students. Jesus is the teacher. Can I get an amen? Amen. And then Jesus messes that all up. If you remember in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus flips the script. After the resurrection, Jesus again appears to the disciples, and, and I know you've heard this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Remember that example of the strong guy and the stronger guy? Jesus says, I'm the stronger guy. I'm stronger than all the authorities and all of the powers of this whole place. I'm the stronger guy. Therefore, in the next verse, verse 19, therefore, because I'm the strong guy, I'm the stronger guy, I'm sending you out to be in a life on mission. Remember the series we just came out of. I am sending you out to go and make disciples. All of that strength, all of that power of Jesus Christ comes to one imperative for you and I, and that is to go and make disciples. And we are to do this of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, look what he says. What's that first word? Teach. Our job is not to teach. Whose job is it to teach? Who is our teacher? Jesus. Yet, do you see what he does here? He says to his students, 
The teacher says to his disciples, says to his students, I want you to go with my power, with my authority. I want you to go and make disciples. And I want you to do that by teaching. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He doesn't say learn. You know, that's been their relationship. Teacher, student, that's how it worked. That was the relationship they got. They understood. None of the, they didn't have to worry about being teachers. They had a teacher. Their job was to sit at the feet of Jesus and soak it in, to fill their houses with the teaching, with the instruction, with the example of Jesus Christ. And now Jesus flips the script and says, now I want you to teach. And if you're reading this, like what should be going through your head is this is messed up. And this is where maybe the, maybe the biggest stumbling block of, of the North American church. Because Christians in North America, by and large, we're pretty good students. But when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself. Like we like that first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. But the second command, which is equal, Jesus says, to the first, it's to love your neighbor. Jesus says we must become student teachers. Of course, Jesus is going to remain our rabbi. But as we continue to learn from him, the imperative that Jesus gives is to teach. You and I have been taught so that we can teach others. This is the job of the church. This is the job of every Christian. So the two primary emphasis of this Life House series, just using this example of the empty house, the first and foremost is we're going to dig deeper into the teachings of Jesus. We're going to look at parables and things that he said, stories like the haunted house story. And the goal is to study what he taught, to go over his teachings, to, to, to somehow put these things into our lives, right? To fill the empty space in us, to make sure there are no dark corners in our life, to fill our lives with the life, with the light of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we fill our lives with everything that Jesus taught and every his example and the things that, that he stood for, it won't go unnoticed. And the next thing that I guess if there's two primary emphasis, one is to fill your house with Jesus. The second emphasis is to fill your neighbor's house with Jesus. The students must become the teachers. And the reality is we live in a world full of haunted houses. We live next to people who have filled their life with everything else. 
and without teaching, without someone to show them how to fill their houses with Jesus, what will inevitably happen? You remember the story? What happens if we leave our houses empty, if we leave our lives empty? But you see, that takes concern on our part, right? And this is hard for us. Got to be concerned for other people's house, be concerned for the interior castle of our neighbors and our coworkers, of the people around us. Like the girl in my statistics class, your friends and neighbors, as you fill your life with Jesus, will look to you for answers, As you live more like Jesus lived, you will find that people are taking their desk and going, right? That's a very technical sound effect. They're going to come near because they're going to be curious. If you are really filling your life, your house with Jesus Christ, your neighbors won't, can't help but be curious. And you won't be able to hide it. It will be noticeable. And they will look to you to teach them. They will look to you to teach them how to live like Jesus. So the second part of this is as you're filling your house, who are you teaching? Whose life house are you filling with Jesus Christ? I want to give you one final stamp on this, and this is important. Uh, In John chapter 8, Jesus famously says, I am the light of the world. Have you heard this? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But do you remember what he says in Matthew chapter 5? In Matthew chapter 5, in his great sermon on the mount, look what he says. Who's the light of the world? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And he says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives, what are those three words? Light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise not you, but your heavenly Father. Our role is is twofold. To fill your life with the teachings of Jesus Christ. All of those things. If you don't remember, we're going to get dig deeper. But start in Matthew chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount. With blessings and teachings about riches and wealth. And how do we think about those things. About what is, what is, what is true humility. And, and what does is, what is a life without prayer look like. And how, how do I deal with issues of, of greed and selfishness. How do I move and process through this world. Jesus gives us an example to follow. Right after Jesus tells the story of the haunted house, I know I'm going long. Um, uh, after he tells the story of the haunted house, 
uh, a woman from the crowd cries out, your mom must be so proud. Bless your mom. That's, well, that's Adam's version, but that's what she says. And Jesus says to the crowd, you know who's really blessed? The person who hears the words of God and puts them into practice. The person who is really blessed is the one who hears these things and fills their life with them. That's what it means to be blessed. And Jesus, after filling his students, filling his disciples full to the brim, says, now your job is to teach your neighbors to do the same. To teach your neighbors how to fill their lives with Jesus. So now we're going to enter into just a time of... Um, of communion, and uh, if you're new with us, we, we've 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 done this a, a little bit differently. We've set up uh, three communion tables, three communion stations, and in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to invite you to to stand up and to move to one of those tables, and and we really want this to be a time uh, uh, where a bunch of different things are happening all at once. Uh, we are we are a family as a church, and so I love the idea of sharing this meal together. And so maybe you want to gather one or two of your friends and stick your heads together and pray together and share this meal, pray for each other. Or maybe, uh, maybe today something I've said or, or God has put it on your heart, maybe you just want to take your, your elements and spend a few moments alone uh, as you commune with Christ. And this is a space for that also. But this is also a space that we were created for you to respond Maybe as uh, I've been thinking, you've been looking inside your own house. Maybe you don't like what you see. And if that's you, then we want the chance to pray for you. If your interior life has been consumed with things other than Jesus, then we'd love the chance to pray for you. Or if there's ways we can serve you, or, or maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ. If that's you today, I'm just going to move during this time. I'm going to move to that back corner with maybe some of our elders, guys that you can trust. But it could be even simpler than that. If uh, Maybe there's just uh, some issues going on with you and your spouse. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've been selfish or you've sinned against someone else this week. Maybe, uh, maybe things are just rough and stressful at your job. Maybe you have family issues. However we can pray for you, we want to be able to do that. And so I'm going to move to that back corner and receive you there. So like I said, this is a, this is a time for a bunch of different things to happen at once. Um, I'm going to release you in just a moment to, uh, to take communion. For us, uh, this, is a, this is a sacred time, an important time. Our tradition, we do this every week. Um, the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. The cup represents his blood poured out for us so that we would be forgiven, so that our houses would be cleaned out and put in order, right? Let me say a prayer for us, and then I'll release you into this space. Father God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Um, God, my, my house has been filled with so many other things. 
my, my thoughts have wandered and, and I, I, I've put other things in my life before you. And so now, God, uh, as we come to you, as I come to you, I ask that you would forgive our sins, and we trust that you will. We know that out of your great love for us, you sacrificed your son, Jesus, so that we would have life and have it to the full, so our houses would be filled with your light. And so, God, as we enter into this space, as we remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, let us examine our own hearts. Let us examine our own lives. Let us look into our own interior castles. And Father God, even now in this space, let us do the work of, of cleaning out those things that have competed for, for, for your space in our lives. And Father God, if there are people here today that, that are hurting or, or have loved ones that, that they've lost or, or are sick, then... God, let us, give, let us have the opportunity to pray for and encourage and lift up each other. Father God, let this space be a space for family, a space for forgiveness, a space where, where grace comes alive in, in the hands of, of the people sitting next to us. Father God, we love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says. All right, so I dismiss you to a time of communion. Can I tell you one more ghost story? All right, sit down just for a second. Jesus is crossing the, the Sea of Galilee. His boat washes up on the shore. And out of the tombs, out of the cemetery, comes running at him a crazy man. The, the, the people in the villages have tried to bind him with, with chains, but, but he's broken them. And as soon as Jesus' boat hits the shore, this crazy man who is cutting himself and bleeding and screaming tears down out of the cemetery, running towards them. And if, I, if it's me, I don't know if I'm swimming or I'm paddling, but I'm getting out of there. And the wild man runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, son of the most high God, don't torture us. And Jesus says, who are you? And the voice that comes out of this man is legion. For we are many. The man's interior world, his house had been filled. He was the embodiment of the guy that was filled not just with one evil spirit, but seven times. He was worse off than before. His whole life had been wrecked, destroyed by these evil spirits within him. And these spirits cry out to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, don't, don't torture us. And instead, can you just send us into these herd of pigs? And Jesus graciously relents and sends the evil spirits into the herd of swine, which do what? This has to be a very peculiar scene. And the, the shepherds, the herdsmen, uh, uh, pig watchers, I don't, I don't know. These guys are shocked and run to the village and say, you won't believe this. All of our pigs drown themselves in the lake. And, and this guy, Jesus, was talking to the wild guy. And the whole village rushes out. And when they come up to Jesus and his disciples, they find the man who had been cutting himself and screaming and shrieking and had chains hanging from his arms. Where is he? He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
his right mind. He's become a student, a disciple of Jesus. And all that was in him has been replaced with something completely new. His life, his house has been filled with the teaching of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus and his disciples prepare to leave and paddle back across the shore, do you remember Jesus' instruction to the previously wild guy? Go home and tell everyone what the Lord has done. And where does he go? It says he goes to the 10 towns, the 10 villages in that area. I'm guessing these 10 towns had heard the rumors of the wild guy, right? And now what's his story to tell? See that whole process, house being cleaned, being filled with the teaching, with the example of Jesus Christ, and then being sent out to teach. That's your commission this week. As, uh, as you are filled with uh, the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been in church a long time. I've never seen anyone uh, take the communion elements and pour the juice on their head or, or try to rub the bread on their hands like that. Have you ever seen that? Why? Because it's not the exterior that needs cleaned, but what? The interior, right? Jesus had the same teaching for the Pharisees about a cup. Remember that. So what must be transformed, what must be changed in us, the interior part of our lives is where we need Jesus. And so this week I invite you to fill yourself, to, to root out whatever has been controlling you or had power over you and let you be refreshed, be made new, be filled with the precious blood of Jesus Christ so that you can go and teach others.